You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Hi, it's Brian, and I'm here at the Summer Lake Tunnel in the village of Bridgewater as we continue to explore some of the more unique places here in Horizon West, helping us to really love where we live. So in this sermon series called Finding God in Horizon West, I'm taking you to all six villages that make up Horizon West. The village of Bridgewater consists of over 4,000 acres and includes the neighborhoods of Summerport, Independence, and Summerlake. As one of the earliest villages, it examples the planning concepts of new suburbanism. A bike ride through the interconnected trails reveals the green belts, the wetlands, the scenic lakes, the parks, all tucked into communities. The Grove House, which is Citrus's ministry and office space, is also located in the village of Bridgewater. In the village centers of Bridgewater, you'll find some amazing community partners like Scribble Space, the headquarters of Horizon West Happenings, Warrior One Yoga, Brewster's Ice Cream, Clean Juice, and Humble. It's also home to Windermere High School and our newest elementary school, Summer Lake Elementary. Even as a resident of Horizon West for over four years, I am still learning new things. In fact, I had no idea that just below Summer Lake Park Boulevard was this tunnel. The path is designed to help people pass safely under the busy road above. It connects one side of Summer Lake to the other. This tunnel gets me thinking about the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 5 through 15. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is present in the secret place. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your sins. Jesus had this habit of going out early in the morning, and late in the evening to pray. The disciples would often find him in caves, which were common in Palestine, and other hidden private places. In these spaces, Jesus could get out of the limelight, out of the hustle, and away from the demands of others. He could talk to his parent in heaven. It's not stretching too far to say that these private prayer times were Jesus's lifeline in his life. And like this tunnel, Jesus was on one side, God was on the other, and the prayer was the connection between the two. I'm convinced that it was his time in prayer that sustained his work in the world. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus needed that private time in order to face the day-to-day? The same is really true for us. Our time and our commitment to prayer is the foundation of both our relationship with God and our sustaining force for whatever this life or this year throws at us next. The hidden connection of this tunnel each time we drive over it or go through it, reminds us to cultivate our private connection to God through prayer. 
Well, if you live in the village of Bridgewater, which is the village we're highlighting this week, uh, let us know in the comments. Uh, my hunch is that's a lot of people because that's one of the earlier villages here in Horizon West. Um, but even as familiar as I am, because this is where we live and this is where our uh, ministry space is with this area, I really had no idea that the, the tunnel existed down there. Um, so I've got to give a shout out uh, to Rob McNeilage, who first told me about this just a few months back uh, and helped me learn something new about this community. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this today and to think about how prayer really becomes like that tunnel, a conduit that connects us to God. And the idea of how Jesus cultivated that tunnel and, and maybe for lack of a better term, it kept it clean and kept the cobwebs brushed out and, and kept it looking nice. He, he, he tended that relationship in that space. And so there's a lot we could discuss this morning as we talk about prayer. What I really want to focus on this morning is how we create spaces and places for prayer and also talk about some of the challenges that we experience in prayer. Uh, so we won't be able to cover it all. And of course, there's been books that are written that far expand upon this, but I hope that we can begin to touch the surface and scratch it a little bit. And for those who are new to prayer, you can find an entry. And for those who are seasoned in prayer, you can find uh, new ways to really delve the depths of that. Uh, because that's our sustaining force with God, is our relationship in prayer. So we're looking this morning at one of the key passages where Jesus teaches and talks about prayer. And to clear up a couple of misconceptions, at first it sounds kind of like this idea is that we, we shouldn't pray in public, right? Because Jesus is calling those who, who are praying in public hypocrites. And to really understand what was happening there, we've got to dig a little bit deeper and understand that in, in the world that Jesus lived in then, and in those times, there was a synagogue, a public place for worship, in the same way that we would have a building that we would go to for worship. And the problem that they were experiencing was that some people, maybe some of them who were um, religious leaders, but then others who were uh, people who were part of the community of faith, would find their way out onto street corners to pray out loud. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And in no way is Jesus saying that we shouldn't pray out loud in public. The problem was the motivation. You see, for some of these individuals, it was important for them to pray aloud in public so that others would see them and see their faith. And, and they could, you know, like a bird, kind of puff up their feathers a little bit and feel good. And so this is what Jesus is talking about, is this idea of a motive for prayer that allows others to look at us and say, wow, they've got it all together. And wow, look at their prayer life. They've got that covered. I wish I was that good. What Jesus is saying is there's a particular issue to be dealt with, but, but he kind of takes that and expands upon it. So he uses this, this negative example of, of those who are praying with the wrong motives, and, and he kind of just takes it so he can kind of go in a different direction. Uh, he, he changes the conversation to talk about how and where we ought to pray. And so this idea that Jesus is talking about is the idea of how we cultivate a life of private prayer. And so he goes on to talk about the most private room. Now, in those days and in those times, this would have been kind of an inner storeroom in their house. Now, that may have not been a very big place, but I'm thinking if we can make the best correlation possible, I'm thinking of a pantry. 
right? Kind of an inner storeroom where if you go in it, there is no one who is going to see you in there. So your prayer in there, it's just between you and God. So there's no one for you to impress on the outside. In those days, that was the only lockable room. That was the place where, where you could lock it and you could keep your things safe and it was inside, so it was out of public eye. It was out of anyone who might try to kind of break in. And again, while those differences are a little bit different, I think the idea of, of a pantry or even a closet in a room becomes a great example. Because no one is going to see you there. Now the kids might try and come and find you there, and that's perhaps a different story for another day. But the idea here is that there's kind of a play on words. In this passage here and in this place, the disciple who encounters God is in the secret. And there is the one who sees in secret. But this idea is actually maybe better translated differently. Because it almost reads like God sees us in that place, which is true. But a better way to understand this passage is the one who is in secret. And what that means is that when we go into those private places and spaces of prayer, it's not just that God sees us in there, but that God is in there with us. And I think that adds another layer of dimension to that. It's the idea that in those private places, in contrast to standing on the street corner, right? Those who stood on the street corner and prayed in those very public ways to be seen might have thought, oh man, I bet God is seeing this and is just so excited about what I'm doing. And Jesus turns the whole thing around and says, God is in the secret place. The place where you don't have to worry about how you look or how others might think of you or if you're praying correctly or not. God is there in that secret place. And so I think that what this can help us to think about today is that there's really only one person, one human, right, who can answer the question, am I cultivating a place and a space of prayer? And that's our, our discussion for today. Our, our sermon for today is this idea that there's really only one person who's accountable for our prayer life, and that's us. And in those secret places, it's really just between us and God. So there's no one, there's no pastor who's, who's kind of checking off or getting like, a, like an Excel spreadsheet from God that says, well, this person prayed this week and this person didn't. So there's none of that. Jesus invites us into this place of conversation between us and God. And so I want to think about how we cultivate that. Because even though we've kind of been locked at home for a long period of time, this doesn't come naturally. This doesn't come naturally to me, and I doubt it comes naturally to very few of us. And for those whom this is natural, my guess is that you have worked hard over the years to really put the practices and the disciplines in place to have a private space and time of prayer. And, and of course, if you have any comments or tips or thoughts about this as we go, I'd love to hear that in the comments. Um, I, I can see those as they post, and I'd love for as much as we can for this to be a dialogue. We're called to this authentic place of prayer because God desires relationship with us. And prayer deepens our relationship with God, and it raises our awareness, awareness of God's presence in our life. So the work that we do in those private places helps us to see God more clearly in the public places. When we're 
working and living and playing. We're a United Methodist Church, as Citrus Church. I'm an ordained United Methodist pastor. And so our, our faith and our, our understanding of how God works is distinctly Christian, but it's also been influenced by the stream of the church that has kind of flown down um, over the years and over the generations and over the centuries. And so one of the things that we do as a United Methodist Church is we have membership vows. And what this means is that we sense a call from God to, to submit our lives to Christ and to choose to follow Jesus. But we also hear the call of God back in response to us to be a part of the church. And that's the church with a capital C. So whether it's a church here or a church there, the idea is that we find a church in our local community and we invest ourselves into it. And that's not just for the sake of the church, but that's, a, that's our relationship with God in action. And so part of that is we make membership vows. Now, that doesn't mean you can't move to a new city and reconnect with a different church, but the idea is that we're called to commit to investing ourselves into God's church. And I put the vows up here on the screen and you can see them, but the part that I wanted to really look at today, and we'll continue with the rest of these over the next couple of weeks, are that we agree to faithfully participate in its ministries in the church with our prayers, with our prayers. And so as we, as Citrus Church, as a new church, begin to explore what membership looks like for us, we will talk about how we commit to prayer together. Uh, I'm thankful for those who are sharing that uh, your experiences of prayer in the comments and this idea of, of the season that we're living in, I think we all need to know that God is with us in this season. And prayer is probably the primary. And so we're, we list it as first in our membership vows because we recognize that, that our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that all of those matter. But prayer is the central piece that we invite ourselves as disciples to be a part of. And so Janet mentioned uh, a prayer corner, and I think that's a great example. We're going to talk about some of those places as we continue on this morning. John Wesley listed this, or, or said it this way. Wesley knew that a life of prayer was not an accident <laughs> or a natural consequence of just living. He was convinced that a life of prayer was the result of a determined and disciplined effort. A determined and disciplined effort. Without this disciplined effort, prayer would become secondary and our relationship with God left to suffocate under the cares and the delights of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but that quote just like, just like cuts me right to the core. And I am very aware of the times where, where I allow the cares of the world and they are real and there are real things happening right now. We are not diminishing what's happening. And the delights of the world, the enjoyments, the things I find pleasure in, where those things, whether good or bad, those are gifts to us, the good things from God. But when we allow prayer to become a secondary part, we, we can get caught up and overburdened in those cares and just really enthusiastic about those things. And slowly we, we miss that relationship with God. And it's not that God has abandoned us. It's just that, like that tunnel, we've gotten further and further away from that connection to God. 
The connection is always there. The primary purpose of prayers is for us to develop an intimate relationship with God. And in that, we open up and we share our joys and we share our fears and we share the challenges that we face in life. And so I want to be honest and say that for many of us, there are a lot of hang-ups that we experience in prayer. One of those in particular is uh, mentioned by Jim Harnish, a United Methodist pastor, pastored in Tampa for a long time. And he says this, and, and I, this is in a book about United Methodists, but I think this is true whether you are United Methodist or a different denomination, or you just kind of feel generally more called as, as a Christian. I think this is true for all of us. We still say we believe in prayer. The question is whether we believe that prayer makes any real difference and whether we had learned the methods that will help us to experience it. You see, prayer isn't a magic trick where we get to manipulate God. And it's not like a list that we put out. We talked about that a few weeks ago with this idea of God as a vending machine. It's not where we get God to do what we want done. Instead, prayer is a relationship by which God gets what God wants through us. Prayer allows us to allow God to work more fully in and through you and I. And in this quote, Jim Harnish lifts up these two differences here. Uh, This idea that do we believe that prayer makes any real difference in the world? And are we learning the methods that help us? And there's really two things in there. Do we believe that prayer works? We can be honest and say that particularly in this season, my guess is that there's a lot of us that feels like we're praying, but we're looking for the situation to still change. And the longer we're walking through those desert places like the Israelites did, the more we can feel like, I don't know if God's even here in this. It's hard to cultivate a sense of trust to know that God is with us. But that's what prayer does, is it invites us into God's perspective. And it doesn't necessarily give us all the answers, but it puts us in relationship with the one who is in control of all things. And the second piece of this are the methods of of how can we pray effectively? Not so that we can get God to give us what we want, but so we can get a sense of what God is up to and find the peace and the trust that we need in those moments of challenge. And throughout the 2,000 years since Christ came and, and even into the Jewish tradition, there's this idea that prayer has always been a discipline. And a discipline, a spiritual discipline, is something that takes practice each and every single day. Now, I wish I could turn the camera around and show you what's outside the window, but outside the window is uh, Summerport Park. And so right in my direct line of sight is the park, and there's kind of like a running track. And there's been uh, someone, this wasn't planned, there's, there's, there's a guy who's running laps this morning, and I can tell, like, based off of his watch, that he's, he's measuring his time and his pace and his distance. And he seems to have a pretty good pace. And what he is doing is disciplining himself to become a better runner. Which those of you who are runners and exercisers know that that the work that he is doing not only helps him run faster and longer, it helps his heart, it helps his life. Those physical benefits will translate into spiritual benefits. It gives us more patience because we're in better shape. It has this cascading effect. And I believe that's the idea of prayer as a discipline. 
is that it's something that we do that whether we recognize it or not, our time in prayer actually makes a difference on the rest of our life. And I know that to be true. When I haven't spent time in that private place, I'm not at my best as a parent. I'm not at my best as a pastor. I'm more irritable. I'm more short-tempered. And whether I'm making a correlation or not, when I am in those prayer times, I'm simply more aware. I'm more aware that God is trying to make me a more patient person. And so I can become more aware through my day of trying to be patient with others. Right? Discipline means that it's our job and our role to play an active part in developing our faith. We don't save ourselves. We're not our own salvation. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we have a role to play in our faith. To put it in sports terms, are we content to sit in the bleachers and to watch someone else play? Kind of like this. I'm sitting in the bleachers right now and I'm watching this guy run. Or are we ready to get out on the field? And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do in these these passages, is to recognize that, that getting out on the field is getting into those private places and spaces to pray and to find God with us. I also recognize, and I want to recognize, that spiritual practices change as we grow. Now, we grow in age, and we also grow in our stages of faith. Uh, and I found this helpful guide, and it's definitely not, it's not the Bible. It's not an end-all, be-all. But what it tries to illustrate is how over the years and over the ages and stages of our faith, right, we We can be young, but old in the faith, or old, but young in the faith. That's the paradox. This idea that as we grow in our faith, our prayer life can change and develop. And so, for example, as we're exploring prayer, a good place to begin might be formal prayers or prayers before meals or something that's that's kind of written out for us. As we continue to get started, our prayers might become more informal, and we might feel comfortable with our own voice and that because we've learned some of that from these written prayers. We might begin to develop a regular time and place, and we might even begin praying with a small group. And as we continue in that, as we go deeper, we might feel comfortable being the one to pray in the small group or to lead that. Our prayers might become more conversational, so even as they're informal, they might be more conversational. We might be interested in learning different types and ways of praying. And as we kind of move on to what they call this centering phase, we might move into more of a silent prayer or a contemplative prayer. And what I hope that you see is not that this is kind of a a linear thing. A lot of us are looking at this thing and like, okay, how do I grow to the next step, right? This in no way says that that this side is less valid than, than this side. All of these are valid. And I think it's important for us to lift up this morning in particular that there is really no right way to pray. That silent prayer is just as holy as a spoken prayer. That praying from a prayer book that has them written out for you is just as sacred as praying in perhaps an unknown language or an unknown tongue, right? That a formal prayer like maybe reading a psalm out loud, is just as valid as as a prayer that's in our mind. That a short prayer can accomplish just as much as a long prayer. You see, it's not so much about how we pray and, and if we're doing it right or wrong. 
It's really just about the practice. It's about continuing to be in that place. And so as we begin to kind of close with this part, I want us to invite you to think about how are you cultivating a place and a space to pray? I love how Janet mentioned that she has a prayer corner. And my hunch is that she has some things there. And she mentioned the comments that she's surrounded by crosses um, from, from that people have given her that she's acquired over the years. And so that brings to mind those instances of faith that she's experienced along the way. But I want to invite you to think about your reality. Maybe there's a place in your home or your apartment or your condo where you can set up as a corner. And and you've got maybe your Bible and some things there that when you sit down, you know that this is a place where you routinely connect with God. Maybe you need to use the pantry in your house or the closet in your house to be able to get away and to gather some quiet moments. We notice in Jesus's life that he often took time in the early morning and late in the evening to pray. His days were so full and so busy with the needs and the concerns of others, and he wanted to be there for those. But he also found that those were the times when he could get away and nurture his relationship with God. So maybe for you, it is an earlier time. And again, it could be just a few minutes or a few minutes at the end of the day. The point kind of like running and like exercise and and like sports is that if we show up routinely, that's how we build the discipline. It doesn't necessarily matter if we can start by being the best prayer. It just matters that we start. So perhaps for you, a good good step, and, and for me too, is for us to begin in our mind today to go ahead and set a place and try that for this week, to set a place and a space of prayer. And think about your life. Don't try and make it fit someone else's, but find what fits for you. And again, if you have those already, I'd love for you to share those in the comments, even if you're watching this uh, later on kind of repeat to hear what works for you. So I hope that this encourages you to the freedom of prayer, to recognize that wherever you begin, God is with you. And I want to also ask one more thing of you, that when you do pray, if you're not exactly sure what to pray about, I want to invite you to pray for your church. And maybe this sounds a little selfish, but I'm thinking about the church as the community of people, about all of us, about those who are watching along, about those who are joined together. Remember, it's more than just the building or the gathering. Because in your church, there are people just like you who are struggling. There's there's many who are still out of work. There's some who've been furloughed and some whose jobs have simply been reduced or terminated or, or ended, whatever the terminology is that there are parents and teachers and and parents who are now their children's teachers at home who are really struggling and trying to give it their best, but it's hard. There are concerns in your church and there are joys in your church. And so when you do pray, if you're not sure, I just want you to begin to think about the people in your church and how you might pray for them. And pray for us together because this is a time that the church has never experienced in the last 2,000 years. And we are desperately trying to find a way forward, just like everybody is. And I would ask that you pray for our wisdom, for our church council and myself, as we try to figure out what the next steps look like to live safely and to honor our neighbor. But I also want you to know that your church is praying for you. That there is a community of people who, who receive the prayer requests that are marked as public. And um, of course, the ones that are marked as private, we keep private, who are praying for you and for those things that you share. 
So if there is a way that we can pray for you this week, I'd love for you to put that in the comments or to share it privately through Messenger so that we can pray for each other. Because quite honestly, that's the only way I know of that we can make it through this together is through prayer. So I hope that you'll find a way to cultivate that tunnel as we saw in Summer Lake. And for those who ride through that tunnel, I encourage you to check it out and to let that help you think about your connection to God. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.